Hey guys, we have a very special episode this week. Recently, Matt got to go on a panel for Fanbase Press's Virtual Fandoms Week 2021. He got to go on this panel with friend of the show Steve Prince and comic legend Dave Gibbons. Dave Gibbons most well known for his work on Watchmen, but he also wrote maybe the greatest crossover of all time, Batman versus Predator. And Matt got to talk about it with the writer Dave Gibbons. It was a really cool panel. If you guys want to check that out, go to Fanbase Press's YouTube. Find that panel. It is awesome. It's called Celebrating Fandoms Week 2021, Batman vs. Predator 30th Anniversary Retrospective Panel. Mouthful, but it is a great, great panel. Really cool stuff. But after the panel, Matt got to chat with Dave Gibbons, and we have that recording now. It's a short little episode. It's sweet. It's nice. It's compact. But there's a lot of fun information. Matt just has a talent for finding awesome people to come on the show and he's really good at reaching out to to like comic royalty and just being like hey you want to chat you want to talk about batman versus predator i'm sure you talk about watchmen all the time you want to talk about batman versus predator and dave gibbons is like sure so this is a great one this is super fun just matt and dave gibbons chilling talking about batman talking about predator talking about like i said the greatest crossover of all time uh we're gonna get to it but before we do Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at LaunchpadPod and our website, LaunchpadPod.com. We have more stuff going on. It's been a busy, busy summer just with work and babies, but we are trying to do some fun stuff and keep those episodes coming. We love hearing from you guys. Hit us up on social media. Let us know what you've been watching, what you've been into, what you like. I hope next summer we can be coming from Comic-Con and really out there with the fans again and out there with all the cool stuff that Comic-Con has to offer is a bummer not to be able to do it again this year, but that's okay. You know what? We're hanging in there. We're still having fun. We're still talking to awesome people about the comic books that we love, the movies that we love. So let's get on with that. This is Matt chatting with Dave Givens about Batman versus Predator. Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. All right, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, we are here, the Launchpad Podcast, just a little informal chat with none other than Dave Gibbons. We were just on a panel for the Fanbase Press with Brian Dillon, and uh, we've had so much fun, we wanted to talk a little bit more. So, Mr. Gibbons, thank you so much for hanging out for a couple extra minutes on the Launchpad Podcast. You've very welcome. It's a real good podcast. I remember listening to it before, after we met in uh, San Diego a year or two ago. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy to appear and give, give you the wisdom of the years. <laughs> it's always a pleasure. We've talked to you a couple times now, and uh, this is one of our favorite topics to talk about because uh, you're known for your comics work because you've worked on some pretty famous books that a lot of people in the comic world have heard of. Um, <laughs> but this is one of those ones that a lot of people... When I remind them that you wrote it, they're like, that Dave Gibbons? And I said, yeah, that Dave Gibbons. Um, you guys need to check out the panel that we just did with Fanbase Press, but I want to co- just cover a couple other things. Uh, you and I were just shooting the breeze before. How long did it take you to write this story? Uh, like, roughly, do you know how long it took you to put uh, pen to paper? It's, it's a long time ago to, to, to remember, but I do know that it went quite smoothly. So it probably didn't take me that long. You know, as usual, I did did an outline and that was approved. So I could start writing it confident that I was telling the story that was that was required. And it, and it was 
I mean, it was three 48-page comic books, I think. Mm-hmm. So it's like 150 pages, which is a kind of movie screenplay length. Um, so, uh, but it, and it zips along fairly quickly, uh, and it's it's an action story. So some pages are leave a lot to the artist. So I can only remember it as being something that went very smoothly that I enjoyed doing. And I have to say, and and as I was saying on the podcast, we just or the panel we just came from, that I'm amazed when I read it now and I can look at it as if it was written by somebody else, and I can think. That's pretty pretty good. They had fun doing this, and I think if you have fun doing it, things do do go quickly, um, and your memories of them are just good good memories. You know, sure, I, sure. I, I have worked on things where I've been micromanaged, or you know, the basic thing is kind of flawed from the beginning, which always always makes it hard. But this was a, a straight ahead thing that was great fun to do, and also I think knowing that I was working with collaborators whose work I admired anyway, and I was thrilled and excited just to see what they would do with my script. And also the fact that that they had styles distinctive enough that I could imagine as I was writing what it was going to look like and get excited about how well they were going to draw it. That's incredible that you saw their visuals while you were writing your words. I mean, that's the best type of collaboration you could get for a project like this, right? Yeah, I mean... You know, most good writers that I've worked with will write with a particular artist in mind. It's it's quite hard to write a script when you don't know who's going to be drawing it because artists have strengths, artists have things that they like to draw, things they don't like to draw. And if you can give, give an artist the kind of thing he likes to draw, maybe stretch him a bit, uh, but, you know, you're, you're generally going to get good results back. Certainly in my case, where I've drawn other people's scripts, and being lucky enough to work with people like Alan Moore and Frank Miller, they very much will tailor what they do to suit the artist, you know, to, to give the artist something that they're going to enjoy doing. After all, it's going to take you four times as long to draw something as it is to, to, to write it. So you don't want to be working with an artist who's really frustrated because you, you've given him all the stuff to draw that he hates. Sure. And you, you've won both those hats, so you can, you can do both those roles. But let me ask you, staying with writing, specifically for Batman vs. Predator. Issue two, Batman is laid up. He's not really in it that much, especially at that time, but really throughout the book, we don't really get in his head. We don't see a lot of inner monologue, inner dialogue. We don't really know what he's thinking at any given point. We are kind of walking through these books from a third-person perspective, not really attached to any one or more characters. Was that a choice that you made going into it? Or was that just something as you started to write the story that you said, we're not really going to identify with one or the other character. We're just going to kind of tell the story, you know, from the outside perspective. Is that something that you thought about as you started doing it? Yeah, I don't know that I ever had that thought process. I mean, we all kind of know Batman. We sort of know what Batman's going to do. And indeed, the thing that I found when I've been lucky enough to write a Batman story or a Superman story with characters like that, you almost know what they're thinking. You know what they're going to say. And it, and it actually makes writing them quite easy because, you know, when a thing doesn't sound right, you know it, it isn't right. It doesn't sound like Bruce Wayne's voice or Batman's voice or, or, or Superman's voice. And I did, I did take a, a chance um, in the middle of it by, you know, hardly having Batman appear in book two of it. But it was necessary to do that, to give it tension, 
And you sort of saw Batman re-emerging, having been hideously beaten up and attacked. He slowly re regained his strength and methodically worked through what he had to do and came up with the gadgets and the we weaponry that he was going to need. So I think you saw the resourcefulness of, of Bruce Wayne, Batman, and you saw his basic courage that, that he was going to go back for more, that he wasn't scared of the Predator at all, that he was in incredibly brave. And all he was dedicated to doing, which is all he's ever been dedicated to, is to make Gotham safe. Not, not always with success, but that's his basic mo motivation. And the Predator has got a very clear motivation as well, his alien code of honour. So I felt that I'd set up enough to make the characters clear. Um, and I think it would have been, it wouldn't have worked in that kind of story to have any great introspection on the part of Bruce Wayne. I mean, what, what would he have thought? He would have thought like, oh, this is terrible, an alien's attacking Gotham, I must defend it. You know, I think that was implicit in, in, in his actions. And I think, you know, that, that allowing people, people to infer things from what people actually do, that is the more authentic way in. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I felt that I gave all the motivation and uh, inner workings that were necessary. Well, you mentioned the Predator's Code of, of, of Battle, the Predator's Code of Honor. As a writer, when you're writing those fight scenes between the two characters, or even when Predator is hunting, you know, these, these boxing champions or police or whoever he's going, or mafia, whoever he's going after, you have these parameters, which I guess you have with most different of these huge characters that you're writing, but the Predator will behave in a certain way in battle when he's in action. And... There's things he won't do. How is it trying to make him fight Batman according to the Predator's rules? How was it like framing those fights? Wow. Uh, I mean, basically what the Predator is, is about is to find the, t the toughest guy around and beat him, you know, which is why we start off with the boxing match, because that is essentially you find the toughest guy and you, you beat seven bells out of him until he falls down. And then you're you're the winner, and you're the big guy in town. So that un, underlies it, and and, and kind of um, I think at the very beginning shows you what the motivation of a character like Predator is. Um, and I mean, we know the we the weapons he's got. He's got these you know daggers that slash things. He's got this razor sharp net. So I wanted to show all that being used. And I think at the very end of it. When again, I don't want to spoil it for anybody. When a whole lot of other predators show up, we then see exactly the code of honor of the, the, the predators and his true motivation for doing it and the true defeat that he has suffered at the hands of Bat Batman. It isn't that Batman, you know, just blows, blows him off. It is the end of the line for this, this predator because yeah. he's publicly failed and the prey has beaten the hunter. So he's now. Uh, a, a, a completely shamed figure amongst the other predators. Now, keeping with the predator, when you're writing him, and you're writing any character, you got to find their voice, right? But the predator speaks a different language in comics and in the movies. He's got this mimicry where he will play pre-recorded things from other scenes that we've seen. Yeah. When when you're plotting out that three issue story. How hard is it to write scenes that the Predator will overhear to have the dialogue that the Predator will need in context later? Like, 
Batman hits the Predator with his car, not once, but twice. And the second time, the Predator is able to say, not again, because he know, like he knows that this is happening and he's now pre-recorded that from another thing. Because you really have to, I feel like you have to plot those seeds early, right? Yeah, yeah. You, you, you have to know at the beginning what you want to at the end and make sure the words are spoken that are going to make sense in a different context. So that was actually something that took a little bit of en- engineering. Um, and, you know, um, I, I, I think um, I, I actually used it as a plot point where the old blind boxer, when asked what this, this assailant sounded like by Batman, the old guy says, well, actually he sounded like you which is a kind of kind of spooky thing. And of course, it's a slight misdirection if you don't realise what's going on, that maybe it was Batman who, who, you know, just that moment. So, yeah, that seemed to me um, a very key thing. And it seemed to me the way that I could have a reaction from from the Predator that made sense, the fact that he would call up the appropriate words at at the time when they would illuminate his feeling about it. Well, let me, I got two more questions for you. This one is probably the most important question you've, you've probably ever been asked, including about Watchmen. Okay. Okay. <laughs> in this book, actually in all, in all three issues of this series, the predator gets a lot of his information from television. He sees television broadcasts. He sees um, news programs that tell where certain figures are going to be, or that there was an issue at a certain place. And I think we're supposed to assume that the Predator now knows where to find these guys because of that. Yeah. There's even a scene he gets, uh, he's in a trailer. He's watching a TV that's on. The trailer becomes his trophy room, but Batman discovers it. So the Predator now has to flee and find a new trophy room, which he establishes on the top of a church. There's a, I mean, I know this is probably not you. This is the Kuberts, but the Predator is watching TV on top of the church. There's a box for the brand new TV. So he stole a brand new TV from somewhere. How much well, thought went into that? <laughs> well, he's a resourceful hunter. I mean, he realizes, I mean, I don't know what the predator home world is like, but I guess they've got things like the TV. So he realizes what, what, what the TV is. He'd be a good enough hunter that he'd know his hunting ground well enough that he could look at the image and figure out where in the city that was. Sure. Um, and, also, as people are being, I mean, he'd have a wonderful facial recognition ability. Like once he's seen one of the boxers, he knows what that boxer looks like, and it's him that he will he will hunt down. So I guess in a way what that's showing is the resourcefulness of the predator to hunt his, his praise, that he uses the thing which is kind of intrinsic to 20th century civilization to help him in his in his hunt. And I guess if he found himself in a different in, in environment, if it was music that sort of told stories, he would become familiar with music, for instance. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, um, and I think it's feasible. I hadn't quite r- realised that, that I had him steal a TV. Uh, but again, very, very resourceful. Yeah, I don't know if you I, wrote that, but I know that in the, there's a panel of him watching a news broadcast on top of that church, and there is distinctly in the foreground even, there's a box for the television that he's watching, which I guess explains why there's a TV at the top of the church, but. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, one thing that I would have to do and that I didn't do for the purposes of this broadcast and broadcast, um, um, 
and I, uh, perhaps at some time we might find quite amusing would be to go back to the original script that I wrote, because it sounds like the kind of thing I might write, say, the predator sits on top of the church and he's watching the TV. Oh, and we have to see a TV, an empty TV box because there's no other way to make sense of him watching TV. Right. So I can imagine that I had that thought process. But one day <laughs> I'll blow the dust off the script. And if you we'll have it, let us know. We would love to show a picture of that if you were, if you were comfortable sharing that. We would put yeah, that up yeah. for sure. Yeah. Sure. All right. Well, I'll let you go after I ask you one thing. You clearly know these characters. You know the Predator. You know the mythos. I mean, you established some of the mythos in this book. What is a matchup, Predator versus someone or something that you haven't seen yet that whether you were involved with the creation or just as a fan, you'd love to go to the movies and watch it or go to the comic book store and read that battle, that hunt? What would be a cool character that you think would be cool to match up against him from any universe, any medium? Oh, man. That that's a big question to ask because you need. To, I mean, the thing with Batman is, in a sense, Batman is always is almost a predator himself. I mean, he hunts his prey in the jungle of Gotham City, and and Gotham's always had that kind of jungle feel about it. So it would have to be a character who lived in an interesting environment and had some sort of attributes that would make him either a version of the predator that he could fight as an equal, or somebody from a completely unexpected um, direction. I mean, we were speaking earlier about what, what if he found himself in the Marvel Universe. And of course, somebody like Wolverine would be an obvious choice. Um, I mean, it, it's slightly straying off, but I don't know if you're familiar with the British comic book character, Dan Dare. He, he was out in the 1950s. Yeah, I'm not a, I don't know as much as I know about the Predator, but I know who he is. And he was a very stiff upper lip you know, military kind of honourable gentleman. And the guy in my local comic book store said to me one day, you know what would be really, really cool, Dave, would be Dan Dare meets Alien. And I could suddenly see it, how this sort of really innocent 1950s science fiction character could find himself up against these sort of disgusting, psychosexual alien beasts. And what an interesting thing that would be. So... I mean, I could almost imagine that it would be entertaining to take a completely left field character like someone said earlier, Howard the Duck, you know, or Archie, or or have they done Archie versus Predator? I'm sure they have. Not only once but twice. I haven't read it yet because I think that's what it is. But I mean, I'll have to get in there at some point. That's the problem with my best ideas. It turns out they've already been used. But no, I I would have to give it some thought. But that would be the key to it. I'd have to come up with. a, a ridiculous opponent who could beat him in ways that you wouldn't ever imagine. Or, I mean, you could think of Tarzan versus Predator, couldn't you? For, that's, for, you know, that's been done, right? That's, of course, it's been done. And you could think of. That was Lee Mag- Weeks. Lee Weeks and I think Walter Simonson. That, you know, you're absolutely right. And even as I said that, I saw it come to mind. Did, did they do Magnus Robot Fighter versus yes. Predator? That's it. I, <laughs> I give up. All, all, all the good dance partners are already taken, but uh, you'll have to let me think about that. And when it pops into my head at four o'clock in the morning, I'll give you a call. Four o'clock in the morning, your time or my time? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> well, Mr. Gibbons, you, you have my number. You could get me anytime you want. I really appreciate you taking the extra time today to come on the Launchpad podcast, nerd out about this with us. We always love having you. Thank you so much. Not only for your 
amazing creations and all the work that you've left for us to enjoy, but for enjoying it with us. I really appreciate that. Well, thank you very much for that, Matt. It's been a real pleasure and I love enthusiasm and you're nothing if not an enthusiast for this stuff. So it's a great I feed that whenever we talk to each other, it's the same thing. You're just as jazzed about it, which is it, 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 it's easy to feed off. Listen, I'm a fanboy. What can I tell you? You know, it's my guilty secret. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Guys, check us out here. Uh, you know, you can always follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the Launchpad Pod. And then you can also find us on our website, launchpadpod.com. Mr. Gibbons, do you have a website or social media or anything you want to direct people to or anything uh, that you want to point us towards for the future? I shamefully don't have a website, but I am on, on Twitter as Dave Gibbons90. And I tend to post my thoughts such as they are on, on there. And that's a good place to find out what I'm up to as well. Thank you so much for coming and hanging out, everybody. I hope you have a great day. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you guys soon. Oh, wait. No, Mr. Gibbons, you know what we need to do? We have a secret handshake that I don't know if I've taught you yet. No, I don't know. You ready for this? All right. Start with your hand out to the side, horizontal. We're going to come in, meet in the middle, and then we're going to go vertical, and we blast off like a rocket ship and go up as we make a raspberry noise. So... All right, so we'll do it together. So start out like this. I'll give us a count. Ready? Three, two, one. <laughs> Launchpad podcast, we're out. Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff.